In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis of all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, and today I'm joined by my colleague, Mark Nisi, to talk about the Secretary of State's race. How are you doing, Mark? Doing great. Good to be here. Good to have you. So tell us, first of all, why should we care about the Secretary of State's race? The Secretary of State's race this year is particularly important because Georgia is in the process of deciding on new voting machines. We've had our electronic voting machines since 2002. That's 16 years. They don't produce any paper record. And the next Secretary of State will oversee and have a key role in helping to decide and implement what voting machine we use. And there's all kinds of new technology that they're talking about, as well as old technology, such as just going back to regular paper ballots. So whoever wins this election will be a key person in that process. Now, the candidates, there's, and there's a big crowded field, but they're running to replace Secretary of State Brian Kemp, who is running for governor. So the seat's wide open. Let's talk about the Republican side first. It's interesting because je- in the last couple open races we've had for this seat, there's been a lot of talk about issues that have nothing to do with elections. I mean, I remember races where it was about abortion and guns more than it seemed to be election issues. This time, it seems like the candidates are staying a little bit more on track with, with issues that involve actually overseeing elections. That's true. Uh, There are four Republican candidates in the Republican primary. They are talking about basically three topics. One, voting machines. Another is voter fraud and preventing it. And a third is professional licensing and trying to trim down on the requirements and number of professions that have to be licensed before they go to work. And one one of the, I guess, the bigger names in this race is State Senator Josh McCoon, who is known for his being a champion of religious liberty legislation. He also have ethics overhauls that passed a few years ago here under the Gold Dome to require a little bit more transparency for lobbyists. Um, so he's kind of a favorite of the grassroots right. Uh, but, in the, but over the last year or so, he's trying to remake himself more as almost a policy wonk, it seems. That's true. And the Secretary of State's job is an important administrative job. Yes, it's always political because you're in charge of elections, but really you need to, if you're a candidate, show that you can be an executive, that you can run an office, that you can be effective and get things done. And all of the candidates, including Senator McCoon, are trying to do that, touting their business experience as well as their political and legislative background. Now he's, we haven't seen too much polling, but he's generally expected to be uh, right there among the top finalists. Um, but there's three other candidates. There's two state representatives, right? Buzz Brockway and Brad Raffensperger. And there's a mayor of Alpharetta. 
David Belisle. Um, how are they trying to distinguish themselves? Well, let's start with Representative Buzz Brockway. He has the endorsement of 70 members of the Georgia House. So that's a strong show. And the Speaker, Speaker Alston, too. Yes, so that's a strong show of support. He's a small business owner as well, and he is trying to show that his experience makes him the most qualified. Uh, You also mentioned former mayor of Alpharetta, David Bell Isle. He is talking a lot about cutting down on voter fraud. We don't know if there is much voter fraud in Georgia, but he's been saying even if there's a little, we need to stop it. And his a lot of what he talks about is the need to prevent voter fraud through absentee by mail ballots where you don't need to show voter ID when you mail in your ballots. And then you have Representative Brad Raffensperger from Johns Creek. He is talking a lot about his experience as an engineer, as a CEO of his own firm, and on the licensing and business side of the Secretary of State's office trying to prevent businesses that do things like sex trafficking and cracking down on that area. And he's one of the he's actually one of the wealthiest uh, Republicans running for statewide office, so he's able to uh, pump some of his own money into his own campaign. I've also noticed he's hired um, some former Trump uh, campaign aides to try to drum up some grassroots support. Because what's interesting for these for, for the, these this this quartet of candidates, three of them come from generally the same suburban area: Alpharetta, Gwinnett County, North Fulton. You know that the general slice of Metro Atlanta. And then you've got Josh McCoon, who's way out in Columbus who's trying to appeal more to the rural base of Georgia, and that's the base that also will show up in big numbers from the Republican primary. Right. I wonder about that because you have, as you mentioned, Senator McCoon from Columbus and then Representative Brockway from Lawrenceville, Representative Raffensperger from Johns Creek, and Mr. Belle Isle, former mayor of Alpharetta. I do wonder if that will divide their votes or if they'll be able to separate themselves from that northern suburban Atlanta voter base. And we've seen for McCoon especially, I mean, he he being becoming the champion of religious liberty um, back. Uh, I think he first proposed it. I think it was 2013. Um, so for years now, he's been the face of that. And he took his face off that. He still advocated for it, but he let others kind of lead the fight uh, in more recent years. But before that, helped him get a sort of grassroots following. Um, in the third district where he is, but also in other places around the state. And long before he he announced his run for this, he was out campaigning um, with other candidates. Uh, And for a little while, it's kind of interesting seeing his evolution. For a little while, it seemed like he was no man's land in the state Senate. No one wanted to look like they were cozying up to Josh McCoon because, you know, he was sort of known as an enemy of the establishment. Things have started to change. He's gotten most of his chamber's endorsement. Um, he, he started to work some of the establishment, like I'm putting that in quotes, but the quote unquote establishment Republicans are starting to cozy up to him a little bit more um, lately. I think that's true. I think, you know, he is not so much the outsider that he was, although that image might still help him in the campaign as being an independent thinker. But certainly he is playing up his experience and also his policy ideas. You know, he's really trying to at least publicly seem like he is focused on the issues and the items that are important for the job of Secretary of State. And because it's a down-ballot race, uh, you you tend to see the most innovative ads uh, to try to get people to pay attention. And I want to talk about two of them here. Josh McCoon's stole a page from the Office Space movie 
where they played the song, uh, well, in the movie they played the song Damn is Good, Feels Good to Be a Gangster. But they show people with bats taking, tearing up, a, 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 in the movie they show them tearing up like a printer. But in Josh McCoon says, what's he, what's he tearing up? A voting machine. He says, <laughs> I, I hate these machines. Striking the point home that he wants to get rid of them and replace them with something that's a safer and more secure technology that does have a paper trail of some sort that could be recounted or audited, which our current voting machines do not have. And Buzz Brockway most likes to be identified as a wonk. I mean, he can get into the nitty-gritty of a lot of these issues, and his ads kind of show that side of him. That's totally true. He is a Georgia Tech graduate. He portrays himself as a nerd. He talks about his um, wonkish ideas and his policy-centered approach to things and tries to use that as a credit to himself and his campaign. It's kind of like vote for the boring but competent guy. Yeah, and his ads kind of show his kids and his, and his family rolling their eyes at him as he's going on and on about voting policy and paper audit trails. And it shows him following people in the neighborhood who are like, Buzz, just stop. But, you know, it shows, it shows I guess, he's trying to show his passion for such an issue. Uh, the Democratic side of the race is kind of interesting because we have a very well-known candidate, um, former U.S. Representative John Barrow, who represented one of the swingiest territories. He, for a while, he was the last white Democrat representing a deep south district in Congress, and he's trying to make a comeback bid. Yes, he is. He's raised a lot of money. He's getting out there. He is talking a lot about voting machines. He um, is certainly trying to make a comeback. He'll, He'll have name recognition across the state, having represented, as you said, in Congress for 10 years on shifting districts with changing boundary lines. But yes, he's been around for a long time, and now he's trying to get back into elected office. And I think his experience and his the way that people know him, know him will give him an early advantage over his competitors who are less well known. Yeah, he's he's running against what two? There's two other competitors. Yes. They're very they're they're not well known. They don't have that many resources, but they're still you know it's it's still a who knows uh, type of situation because. Uh, it's a wide open race, but he does have also 650,000 plus now as of as of the other day. Um, those are the most recent numbers we have, which is more than any Democrat candidate for Secretary of State has risen altogether through through the general election since Democrats were in power in the early 2000s. So he's got resources. Also, he's talking about voting and issues like the, the Republicans are talking about, but he's also talking about issues that the Secretary of State has little to do with, um, but does affect the office which is redistricting. Yes, because he's been redistricted a bunch of times. <laughs> if anyone knows that he has. He's been redistricted <laughs> multiple, multiple times. Yes, and while the Secretary of State would not be in charge of redistricting, that's up to the Georgia General Assembly, the Secretary of State could be a voice in that process. Um, former Congressman Barrow, having gone through it a few times, I don't think he would like the boundaries to be shifted and tilted away from his political party to another political party, as happened to him previously. But really, the Secretary of State isn't going to be changing state laws, although could be a strong voice mm-hmm. in the process. What he says is he'll, he'll be an advocate for it because, of course, it will be up to the, the legislature and uh, the next governor to sign off on those plans. But remember, he's a Harvard-trained professor 
Um, and so he's actually written Harvard Law Review papers all about the, the nonpartisan way to redraw these lines. Uh, and that's kind of goes to back to his, his, his campaigns for Congress, where he always ran as a centrist. So while we have Democrats at the top of the ticket running very far to the party's flank, um, he is still running to the middle. He is still more of a conventional running that, that you know, 2000s, late 90s, Democratic centrist strategy, um, talking about centrist issues. Uh, and remember, in Congress, this was someone who voted for Second Amendment gun expansions, who voted against... Uh, Obamacare and, and some of the Democrats' top policies who voted against uh, Nancy Pelosi. So ran counter to the party's image, um, partly to, to, for self-preservation. You know, he was in a vast changing district that was majority Republican by the end. Of, partly, too, because he's kind of always been, uh, in his words, a pretty centrist Democrat who first was elected to office in Athens uh, way back when and kind of used that commission seat to catapult himself into, into a wider office. Yeah, that's true. And his previous stances has earned him some attacks from his opponents. Uh, one of them, R.J. Hadley, is the deputy tax commissioner, chief deputy tax commissioner in Rockdale County. He refused to attend a debate with uh, John Barrow and the third Democrat, former Representative D. Dawkins Hagler, uh, saying he couldn't share a stage with somebody who had once supported uh, further gun rights. And that is an issue there. Um, both, all three of the Democrats, you know, on the Republican side, you hear talk about voter fraud. On the Democrat side, you talk about voter access. The Democrats want more people to be able to vote. They want more early voting days. They want same-day voter registration generally. They want all these things that could make it easier to vote rather than harder to vote. And one of those issues that keeps coming up is the early voting period. It used to be about 45 days. It's been cut to 21 days. And it was cut uh, with some Democratic support, there's a lot of talk uh, when it was cut that rural counties couldn't afford to keep voting early voting period that open that long uh, with such with such a small trickle of voters. Uh, this year, even though it's just 21 days, even though it's just three weeks, we're not seeing these tremendous this tremendous surge at least in the primary at least so far um, uh, for early voting numbers, right? Across the board, voting numbers are down, whether you compare it to two years ago, a presidential year, or four years ago, which was a mid-year primary election. Early voting is down across the board. Pretty much every county is down. Uh, that might not be universal, but pretty mm -hmm. much. Um, and I think that just reflects perhaps a lack of excitement about the top candidates in the race. This race is mostly the biggest races are for a governor. The down-ballot races don't really often motivate voters to get to the polls. And it's likely that that will change after the primary, leading up to the general, when you have two candidates to choose from and people get more excited. But for now, it is a big deal because more people vote in early voting than they do on Election Day now. People have kind of gotten trained uh, knowing that they can vote anytime they want early, or not anytime, but they, they have a lot more flexibility to vote early. Um, and so, especially for Democrats who are really banking on this wave of enthusiasm, these town hall meetings, all, uh, you know, record number of, of Democratic candidates, at least since 2004, record number of women running, all these things that they say are pointing to a surge of voter enthusiasm. Uh, there are some Democrats I talked to who are very, very concerned uh, about uh, this sort of tepid early voting numbers this early. That's true. And so far, Republican voters are outnumbering Democratic Party voters in the primary. 
It's a difference of between 5 and 10 percent, roughly. And yes, Georgia has been a Republican voting state for a number of years, but we're not seeing Democrats catch up to the extent that they had hoped in early voting so far. That's all for this latest edition of Politically Georgia Podcast. Please make sure to rate us, keep listening, and you can follow us on Twitter at PoliticallyGA and at Bluestein. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.